You know, this, uh, this passage of scripture is going to end up being a, a, a very practical uh, a part of the word of God, because again, you remember that we're, we're looking at two different guys. We're looking at uh, King Saul, and of course, then we're looking at what, what will eventually be King David. And uh, both of these men are in, in a crisis. Both of these men um, find themselves in a, um, uh, a place of despair. Now, David, we're going to see David being dealt with here in chapter 30. And then the next time we're together in chapter 31, we're going to be looking at the, the end of, of Saul. And, and what's fascinating is that we've got, we've got David. He, he is in a backslidden condition. Uh, David has been for about the last year and a half. He hasn't been walking by faith. He hasn't, he hasn't, certainly hasn't been writing any worship music. Uh, he has been dwelling in Philistine territory. Uh, he believed that God would eventually drop the ball. It was only a matter of time. Uh, Saul would be able to somehow get around whatever protection God has been providing David, and Saul was going to be able to kill him. And so allowing that unbelief to come in, he begins to make these choices that introduce a lot of compromise uh, into, into the man's life. And God is going to use crisis to awaken the man and to get the man to repent. We have to remember that so often in life, God uses various crises that come our way and they, they awaken us. It's, it's marriage problems, it's family problems, it's, it's uh, persecution problems. It's, it can be any number of things that come our way to awaken us and the desire is for us to be driven to the wounded side of Christ. It's the Lord's desire that these crises would drive us to him. And what we have seen, the difference, the big difference between Saul and David is that crisis has driven Saul to a seance, right? Saul to a witch. And we're gonna see here in our text before us that crisis is gonna drive David uh, to the Lord. And David is gonna return uh, to sanity, and God is going to restore David, and David is going to be back on track uh, once again uh, to become the king of Israel. So there's going to be some practical insight uh, that we have here. Now, leading up to verse 1, remember that last time we were together, David has convinced a Philistine king that I'm really on your side. I'm, I'm, I'm really at odds with my, my ancient people, and uh, so I'm joining you, and uh, I'm going to fight for you. And David ends up painting himself into a corner because all of the Philistine warlords have gathered all of their troops together. They're getting ready now to make an assault upon Mount Gil, uh, Gilbo, where Saul has his men aligned, and David is going to find himself killing the very people that God had called him to be king over. Uh, how, how's he going to get out of this? And, and of course, if he says, no, I'm not going to kill my people, well, then his 600 men are surrounded by thousands and thousands of, of Philistines. And these were nasty people. I kind of picture them as the sand people off of Star Wars, you know. And so here he is. He's surrounded by these guys. And they're going to they're gonna wipe him. What in the world is he going to do? And yet the Lord 
opens up a way of escape for him. The other warlords say to Achish, hey, get this Jew boy out of here. We don't, we don't want him. He's, he's a Hebrew. This is not going to be any good. Send him home. And so David now is on his way home. Quite a trek. They're probably traveling 20, 25 miles a day. They've been, they've been on the road now two days. And they're now going to get back on the third day. So this has been a long journey. No doubt many of his guys are physically spent. And so we pick it up in verse 1 where we read this. Now, it happened that when David and his men, they came to Ziklag on the third day. So they had left three days ago. They left first thing in the morning. So they marched all that day, all the next day. And so now this is the third day. They've, they finally arrived there. And they discover that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag, and they burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there from the small to great. And they did not, interesting, did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and they went their way. So you get the picture now. Uh, David's men, they've been on the road now for several days. They have, they have been on this long march coming back home. And no doubt, they probably saw the smoke from quite a distance, began to pick up their pace, and they, they come into their town, and, and they notice that the whole thing now has just uh, been destroyed by fire. Now, God, God is disciplining his son. He is disciplining David. But I want you to notice there is always mercy in God's discipline. And notice the mercy in this case is that the Amalekites, they hadn't killed anybody that apparently up to this point no real physical harm has come to any of these guys wives or any of these guys children all of their stuff is stolen and their wives and their children have been uh, carried carried away captive and so uh, David now through his lying and through his deception this is the mess that he has created uh, for himself if he just would have stayed there in the south of Israel, trusting God and believing God, none of this heartache, none of this hardship would have been coming upon him. But this is what compromise will do. This is what uh, 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 making choices of unbelief, this is what it's going to uh, introduce in, into our lives. And so these guys now, they, you notice, they, I mean, they're just crying. And notice that they... They continue to cry until they had no more power uh, to cry. And, and maybe you've had one of those experiences where you are just so spent emotionally. I mean, the tears won't come. You, you wish you could cry, but, but you can't. We're told there that David's two wives were also taken. Ahinoam, she was the Jezreelitess, and Abigail. Now, interesting, we were told earlier that Abigail was a Carmelitess. Kind of sounds like a disease you'd get from eating too many caramels, right? Pray for me, my caramelitis is flaring up again. And uh, so both of his wives now uh, have been taken. And notice now the guys, his, his soldiers, notice their response in verse 6. And David, he was greatly distressed for the people spoke about stoning him because the soul of all of the people was grieved in every man for his sons and his daughters. But David... Here, here now, he's starting to come back to sanity. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now notice, the people were wanting 
uh, to kill him. And, and notice that we're told the reason for this. These guys were just caught up in all of this, this turmoil. But what this is telling us is David, David has been stripped now of everything. He has no assets. He has no family. And now he has, he has no friends. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. And, and what do you do when you find yourself not having anything at all well, David does the right thing, that he strengthened himself in the Lord. How long has it been since David had really prayed? How long had it been since David had worshipped the Lord? He'd been living this double life. He had been pretending to be one thing uh, before the Philistines, that, but yet uh, he was in sin. He was in, he was in un, unbelief. And, and when crisis hits, this should be the first thing that we do. We turn, oh, God. God, help me. God, save me. God, deliver me. God, show me what it is that, that I'm to do. Now, David does the right thing when crisis hits. Now, oftentimes, we'll, we'll make a lot of mistakes because we're under pressure and the, the crisis is getting the best of us. We, we realize that, look, when you find yourself in a crisis, first thing, you don't, you don't make any rash choices for yourself. Don't make any rash decisions. But the first thing that you really have to do is you've got to face the problem. You, you don't deny it. You can't just go on pretending that it's not there. And here is, here is David. He can't pretend, right? Everything is taken away from him and his men. The other thing that's important that we don't try and escape by using substances. What good does it do to get drunk? You're, uh, you're under pressure. What good does it do you to get inebriated? You, you, maybe you forget about it for a few hours, but then you wake up sick to your stomach and a headache and you still got the same problem, right? And then thirdly, you don't blame others. Now, these guys are blaming David and they've, they've got a right to blame David. David led them out of his unbelief. David led them because of his backsliding ways away from the Lord. And this is why you follow those that are running from God, don't be surprised that trouble won't come your way. And then, of course, seek help. Now, again, as I say, Saul, he sought a witch. David, he sought the Lord. And then finally, look, you take steps to fix it. And this is what David does. And so David, he seeks the Lord. You know, what, what, what should I do here? And uh, seeking counsel uh, in, in this crisis, uh, he says, hey, uh, do, I, do I go after them? And the Lord says, yeah, you're going you're gonna to pursue them. You go after them. You'll notice in verse 8 that we're told there, the Lord promises him, you will recover all. That's, that's a remarkable promise being given. He has no idea where these guys are at. He has these, the, the, the men that are with David, they assume that great harm has come to their children. They assume that they're, they're all dead or Lord knows what they were doing to their daughters and their wives. And so they're in this incredible panic and, and living in their head. They're under this uh, distress. But the Lord says to David, you're going to recover all. And so they take off on this, this march. And you'll notice that uh, 200 of the guys, they get going 200 of the guys, they run out of gas. And again, we, we expect that, right? They've been, they've been on this march now for the third day. They take off after the Amalekites. 200 of these guys, they say, hey, boss, 
I'm telling you, I'm spent, you know, we can't, we can't go on. And so David leaves them there. So his forces now are cut by one third. And so he takes the 400 guys and he says to the 200 guys, you guys, you stay here. We're lighting the load. We got to be getting close here. And uh, so you guys stay here and watch this stuff. And the 400 guys, we're going to go and uh, we're going to go get uh, the, uh, the Amalekites. And um, notice they, they stumble across this Egyptian guy, this Egyptian slave that the Amalekites had, uh, had taken. And uh, so they say, hey, can you tell us where the Amalekites are at? He says, well, yeah, I'll tell you, but don't kill me, right? And so David says, all right, we won't kill you. And uh, so he says, yeah, I'll, I'll lead you. And, uh, and he, he knows where they're at, and he leads them there. And you'll notice then that David, he strikes, and notice in verse 19 that nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them, and then underscore this, that David, he recovered all. I think one of the great lies that the enemy whispers to people when they have had a moral collapse in their life, when they have had some kind of a long season of rebellion against God, I think that the enemy is very good at whispering, this is your life's lot. This is all you're going to experience and you will never have anything close to what it was that you had before you sinned. I see a lot of guys coming out of prison, coming out of jail, and this is an often told lie that is whispered to them, that look at you, this is all you will ever be. You know, who are you kidding? Uh, you're a loser from the get-go. Uh, why don't you just shoot yourself? Why don't you just end it all? And I'm telling you, the story that the Bible reveals to us is that if a man or woman will begin to make right choices for themselves, yeah, you, you, you've been a fool. You've played the fool. You've trashed your family. You've trashed your reputation. You've lost everything that you've had. But yet I'm telling you, if you'll just seek the Lord as David saw, here's a man who has lost everything. He's lost everything and he seeks the Lord and God gives him a promise. Look, do it my way. Listen, obey what I tell you to do and you will recover all. And you just watch, how many people have you seen? How many people have you seen? They've destroyed their brains with drugs. They have taken drugs like most of us have taken food. And you wonder if they have any brain cells left at all. But out of desperation, they turn to Christ. They start reading their Bible. They start praying. They get a job. They get a new set of friends. And slowly but surely, God begins to rewire that brain. I mean, I have seen so many burnouts just end up being able to memorize scripture, being able to have terrific jobs, just totally turning their lives around because they started living life according to the instructions of the one who has created life. And it's just so hard to drill into the heads of people sometimes. Look, start 
making better choices. Start choosing to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and watch what God will do. And look at what God has done here for David. David has recovered all. And so happy days are here again. Well, not so fast because you'll notice. Now, here's this great climax I mean, you would have thought this is the end of the story, but no, we can be such jerks, can't we? And so they, they return back to the 200 guys, right? And imagine how the 200 guys are worrying, how, how's it going? Am I ever going to see my wife and kids again? And how thrilling it must have been for them to see this long line of their brothers in arms showing up with their wives and their children. But notice in verse 22, but then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David, they answered and they said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. Note it, we, 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 right? Except for every man's wife and children that they may lead them away and depart. Now this is letting us know not everybody that followed David was a Boy Scout, right? He had some very bad dudes. And uh, we're going to see a lot of these bad dudes in the book of 2 Samuel. And so these guys, and you can understand their logic, right? So here they are. They, they've got all this loot. They have all of this wealth. Because these Amalekites, they have been invading everywhere. So there is no doubt uh, a lot of precious metals, uh, a lot of good stuff. And they had taken all of it from the Amalekites. And so now they get back. And of course, well, the 200 guys that stayed with the supplies, well, they shouldn't, they shouldn't get any of the wealth. Again, we understand the logic. We were the tip of the spear. We were the ones who should get combat pay. We are the ones that really hazarded our lives. You guys just stayed with the stuff. Big deal. Anybody can stay with the stuff. We were the ones that were fighting the battle. And so you guys get nothing except uh, your, your wives uh, and, and your, your children. Now, isn't it, again, this is so typical of God's people, isn't it? We will figure out a way to ruin a wonderful work of God. You see it in, how many churches have you seen? They have been in a wonderful season of church life. God is blessing, the church is growing, wonderful things are going on, and then division and strife and pride and arguments get in there and it destroys this wonderful thing that God was doing. Here God has done a wonderful work. And these guys now, we've done this, and we've done that, and therefore you don't have any part. And now all of a sudden, we got a big division among God's people. Now, notice how David handles this, and he handles it, I think, so wisely here. But David, verse 23, David said, my brethren... You shall not do so with, the Lord, that, with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the, the troop that came against us. For uh, who will heed you in this matter? Listen to yourself. Nobody's going to listen to you guys. This is not wise counsel. You're not walking in, in wisdom here. But as his part is 
who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays with the supplies, right? You need logistics, right? You need the logistics guys and they shall share alike. And so it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. So the 200 were to share equally with the 400. Everybody was to be rewarded alike. It didn't matter whether you went into battle or whether you stayed behind and were a part of the supply chain. I mean, somebody had to watch the stuff or more sand people's gonna show up and steal it, right? And this is a spiritual principle that we even see in the New Testament. That look, there are goers and there are senders. Not all of us can go. If all of us go, well then where will the resources come from to support the goers? And if we are all senders, well then who are we gonna, or if we're all senders, who are we gonna send uh, to be the goers? And so God raises up goers and he raises up senders. He will raise up that person that has a sense of, of urgency, a sense of passion for Bangladesh. I've got to get to Bangladesh. It's a, it's, they don't know the Lord and, and they liquidate all of their assets, but they don't, they don't have enough assets to support them to go to Bangladesh. And so they look to the senders and the senders then support the goers and then in the kingdom, when rewards are going to be handed out for whatever fruit took place in Bangladesh, the senders will share in the reward as much as the goers. We do a very interesting thing in the church, don't we? We'll have, let's say that this church has supported a missionary for 40 years. And now, because of age, um, they're not able to do what they once did. It becomes kind of apparent now that they've got to they've come back and they're retiring off of the mission field. And what do we do? We give them a hero's welcome. Job well done. Terrific. And, and indeed, it is a job well done. You faithfully served on the mission field for many decades. God bless you, brother. God bless you, uh, sister. And we look at that person like, wow, that is about as spiritual of a human being as you can be. But what about that brother or that sister that got up early every morning and went to the factory and went to the office and went to the service station and went to the hospital and went to the restaurant and they faithfully worked a job for 40 years and then they took, they took some of their money and they sent it to that missionary that, that we support. What, what do we do for them? Isn't it fascinating that that person that's just been faithful with living their life and being faithful to support the missionary that we don't, we don't hold them up as high as we hold the missionary up. And yet, in the kingdom, God is gonna reward both he that sent and he that went. 
And so here, David says this now is going to be a statue, a statute among uh, God's people. Now, you'll notice that the chapter ends now with, with David sending part of this small. So evidently, this was a huge, uh, a huge pile of cash uh, that they have come up with uh, because David now gives part of this uh, spoil to what do we have here? Like I think it's like 13 cities that he and his men uh, had been um, a part of. He and his men had stayed in the area of these uh, these cities. And and look again, you know you've got over 600 house guests. Something's going to get broken right? Somebody is going to be offended with something, right? And so I think David now, notice in verse 13, so he sent to those who were in Hebron, and notice uh, we're told there that all of the places where David himself and his men were accustomed uh, to rove. So you've got, you've got all of these, these various towns, and now you've got not just 600 guys, but you've got their families. So you're, you're talking about, you know, several thousand people. And so you, you're, you're a small village, and now you've got several thousand people that are just showing up for a few days. They're gonna be sucking up a lot of your resources, right? And then they're, they're moving on. And so David, uh, I think that what he's doing here, he's, he's probably uh, trying to repair uh, strained relationships, you know, trying to, hey, guys, we, you know, God has given us victory. We remembered uh, you, you helped us. Uh, we remembered that you sacrificed for us. You did a solid for us. And so, hey, I'm going to do a solid for you. And so, you know, here's, here's uh, some spoil. And so David is attempting, I think, to, to mend these relationships. And, and again, I think that this is always a sign of somebody that is back in a right relationship uh, with the Lord. I think a sign that a person is not in a right relationship with the Lord, it's all about me. It's all about what, what I want. It's all about the, the wicked and the unhonorable men that David had with him. No, you're not gonna have any of this. No, David has turned to the Lord. David has sought the Lord. David, David's relationship with the Lord is rekindled. There's that closeness once again. And the fruit of being in a right relationship with God is that there's gonna be a desire on your part to give. Our God is a generous giving God. He is not consumed with thoughts of self, but rather, if you were to try and number the thoughts that he thinks towards you, they would be more than the sands of the sea. And when you and I are walking in harmony with a God like that, we too are going to be generous souls that will be incredible blessings to those people around us. And so what we see in David's recovery is that David comes back to obedience. And coming back to obedience opens the door for God to be at work in his life once again. I want to close with a quote from Alan Redpath. He says this, Many seem to think that, first of all, the Bible has to be explained. But that is not true. It has to be believed and obeyed. We fail to see the tremendous difference between knowing the Word of God and knowing the God of the Word. Conferences, rallies, missionary conventions, and church services come and go, and we remain unchanged. We are often just a group of unbelieving believers, perhaps never so well equipped, 
but never so poorly empowered. And the Lord wants you and I to be empowered. And we will be empowered when we are doing life God's way. When David was doing life his way, he was going from bad to worse. He was going from strength to weakness. But when he decided because of crisis, shoving him to a place where he had nowhere else to go, when he came back to the Lord, God reactivated what he was doing in David's life and David received great blessing because of that. So I think as we go to prayer, we need to be praying that God too would be at work in our life, that we would seek to obey, to believe and to obey the word of God. And Father, we would ask that we would walk down that path that David walked and not the path of King Saul. Father, we struggle so with our doubt, with our insecurities. We thank you, though, that we have got a great high priest that has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he knows exactly what we are feeling. He knows exactly what that struggle is like in that he was tested in all ways as we are yet without sin. And so, Father, help us to believe your word. Help us to obey your word. Father, I ask that if we have those here tonight that they find themselves with a harvest of bad choices, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would continue to encourage them just to make the right choice. Just turn around and start walking in the other direction. Lord, we thank you that you are the God that restore the years that the canker worm and the locusts have eaten. We thank you that you are the God that so works in our lives that we recover everything. We thank you, Father, that you love us. Oh, we worship your precious name. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.